Okay, Keith, here we go. I have got my little bit of brandy sitting here, and we are off again. This is Welcome to Hell. Okay. The next day, back in incineration, poets stared in disgust at Moses as he ate his repast of five green double meat cheeseburgers with fries. You know, every time I see you eat, I think of this movie I saw as a kid called The Attack of the Killer Shrews. Somebody came up with a smart idea of an island full of mutated shrews that were big as wolves. And these suckers were eating everything because a shrew has to eat about three times his weight a day. Shit, Moses. You could have been the star of that movie. You, brother, are an animal. Did the movie have a greens in it with double cheeseburgers? No. I, I, take, I take that back, man. You couldn't be in a movie because you would have ate the entire budget on the first day and then start to look strangely at the crew. You know, start inviting them to lunch and all. I, I bet you think I have all these caveman tools up here for the incinerators. Nope. Never use them for that. I bring all this iron out for lunch just in case you don't get enough and you start looking for dessert to top that off with. Man, leave me alone. Moses said between go, why don't you call eat your goddamn fish sandwich? Can't you see I'm busy? You shouldn't have to concentrate that hard to eat, Moses. I mean, if you're worried about losing a finger, you could just slow down. Moses began wiping his hands and face with his napkin. Okay, see what you done? I lost my appetite. I'm going to have to save this one for later. All cause you couldn't just sit over there and leave me the fuck alone. One burger? One burger? That's all you got left? Jesus, Moses, how long we been sitting here? Seven, eight minutes? You ate four of them things in that amount of time? Houdini couldn't make stuff vanish that fast. No, brother, you think you lost your appetite, but other people call that breathing. You had to come up for air sooner or later. Fuck, forget you, man. Suddenly, there was a howl. They both peered down the aisle at Orlando, coming from the stairwell towards them. Sorry, gentlemen, he said. You can't keep those things in. You just gotta let them out. At this, he continued walking through. Moses rolled his eyes and scratched his head while Port just shook his. Orlando, because of his job as attendant on the ash system, had full run of both complexes. Lately, however, due to what he said was a disposition of certain elements, he had begun to hunt the stairwells of Complex One incineration. The first screw screams and bellows had been unnerving for Port, but he, like everyone else, adjusted to Orlando simply because he was too much of a fact of life. This was the Midwest, after all, and a man could expect for God to hurl down hailstorms, ice storms, blizzards and tornadoes on occasion, just to be sure everyone was paying attention. Those things happen, and they happen to everybody sooner or later. Port wouldn't be sorry when Orlando's next disposition moved him on, but since he was here, the only thing to do was to ride it out. The walkie-talkie crackled. Brenda calling Port. Come in, Port. Port here, Brenda. Come back. Seven-letter word for out of the ordinary. Come back. 
unusual. Brenda out. Thanks, poet. Brenda out. Moses absolutely had taken out the last burger again and started eating it. Speaking of unusual, how's Utley holding up? You said you went over to see him. Utley was a particularly sad story, no one's fault really, a case of being continually in the wrong place at the wrong time, and of course, uh, attention being aversive. He had violated rule number two repeatedly, and there was nothing he could do about it. Utley's problem was that no matter how hard he tried, he remained spotlighted like a doomed World War II bomber caught in the searchlights as flat burst about around him. Well, you said he, 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 he still had his bad days, but they had been adjusting his medication, and maybe in two or three months, yeah, he could be back busting swag. Moses finished the burger. You think he'll really be back? Poet gave Moses the shithouse stare. Hell no. He should have never been here in the first place. A guy like that is supposed to be out there with those picture-snapping fools in primary and wandering around the tanks in secondary. There's just way too much shit going on here for him. Of course, the cherry has moved on, so he wouldn't have that to deal with. Moses leaned back, stretched, and let his mind play across the lovely visage of Sherry the Cherry, and made the sound that all men made when they thought of her, except Utley, who was inclined to burst into tears at the mention of her name. It was the sound a black man makes when he has just taken a bite into the best piece of barbecue he's ever tasted. It has five syllables, and is made with the mouth closed, and is a deep hum-like sound. Mm, 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 mm. Mm. Moses now made the sound as homage to Cherie. If there was such a thing as a motherload of desire, Cherie had struck that main vein. From the moment she walked into the plant, men were lined up trying to get any time with her. They could, all except Utley, who tried his damnness to stay as far away from her as possible. She was his SPA and his spotlight. All she bought with her was flack. Not because she was some slatternly woman out for everything she could get. No, she was young, gorgeous, and loved attention. Here were men of every color and description hanging about like fruit on a tree, and she could pick anyone she wanted when she wanted. She even got along well with Utley, who treated her with the utmost respect and kindness, even though he was uh, a, a bit high-strung. Rules were always made to be broken in Glitter City. Everyone understood this because with so many rules, if they weren't broken, nothing would ever get done. The plant rule with rules, however, is that it's okay to break them as long as you don't break them in front of anybody who is supposed to enforce them. Utley was further undone by the need for courting males to dominate all men in the immediate vicinity of the intended. Utley was a tall, gaunt, hook-faced man given to stammering at the most innocuous confrontation with authority, so he is fully dedicated to rule number two, 
Nothing about him attracted attention, and until the arrival of the cherry, he was Lamont Cranston of wastewater treatment, always in the shadows, seen but not being seen, nearly indistinguishable from most inanimate objects, or at least that's the way he viewed himself. His inconspicuousness and his desperate efforts to maintain it made him stand out like the red light on top of the Penobscot building, one of Detroit's tallest skyscrapers. If anything unusual happened, all eyes turned to Utley just to see his reaction. The more he tried to hide, the more he was observed. His nervous breakdown was so inevitable that Boxy, an enterprising junkie from his crew, was trying to get a betting pool starting on naming the day. All bets were off when cherry when the cherry bomb exploded right in the middle of his life. If he forgot and left an incinerator door cracked, there would suddenly be a white hat standing there lecturing him about cooling down the incinerator. If he picked up the free press and started to re briefly read the comics, someone would be at his elbow wondering why he wasn't working. If, heaven forbid, he nodded off for a moment. When his eyes popped open, there would be a frowning, authoritative face hovering just above his, or at least it seemed that way to him. Meanwhile, Cherie, basking in her good luck, was holding an eight-hour-a-day casting call for her movie, cherry on top. All were invited and all got a chance to do their turn. She kept the pot boiling and finally Utley blew his lid. He came in one day, picked up a tool and faced towards incinerator number two and did not move. He was three hours and two lectures on working into the shift when it was noticed that he had shit his pants and still had not moved. Somewhere in the recesses of his mind, he had decided to vanish. If he worked, he got into trouble. If he didn't, he got into trouble. But if he just stood there and became a pillar on the backside of number two, he was safe. So he stood until the metal bar was pried from his hand and it was rigidly strapped onto a cart for his trip down to Lafayette Clinic where he would finally escape from prying eyes on a locked ward. Cherie eventually landed on top of a promising engineer who gave her two kids and moved her to a townhouse downtown where on occasion she would wave to Utley upon the third floor of Lafayette Clinic as she passed by the mental hospital with her children in the stroller. Poet shuddered as he thought of himself standing at the back of number two with shit in his pants. Man, oh, that's my one nightmare. Some gorgeous woman running around up here bringing all that stuff with her. Hey, I'll take a junkie or one of those know-it-all white boys way ahead of that. Two floors above him, however, in the incinerator control room, Bootsy stared at Headman as he snored with his mouth open. Wake up, Head! Wake up! We've got company coming. Zena's going down to the stack house's office to bring up Poet's new partner. What? What?
If I ain't one thing, it's another. Then drowsed back off, murmuring with the night before still clinging around his eyelids. He could still see the smoke belching out the doors, fire running out the ports, number one. All that because Godaming had to be a big man and couldn't leave well enough alone. Come on, Head. She'll be here in a minute. Head didn't have to ask Boosie how she knew because, well, Boosie knew everything. It was her business. A partner? Now? Hell, and we about to have a strike in a couple of weeks? What that? What they think about across the street? If you seen this girl, you wouldn't be wondering, Head. That bad? Boosie grinned at him. This one's a beaut. Holy shit, he muttered as his eyes snapped open and took in Wendella Jackson. The damn girl looked like she fell off of a cake, he thought. Knowing Poet and his feelings on the matter, he had to briefly look away to compose himself. Boosie hurried out to tell the rest of the complex about Poet's good fortune. Zena just stood and grinned. Headman by this time was wiping tears from his eyes and trying to fumble his walkie-talkie from his wallet. He was about to call for it and thought, hmm, I gotta see this. Put the walkie-talkie back into his holster and beckon with Della to follow. I'm taking you down to the second floor so you can meet your new partner. He's gonna be the one to show you around, so I may as well get you down there, okay? Wendella said okay, and then was led through a maze of pipes and maze of pipes and machinery, then down two flights of stairs where she saw a couple of black men sitting a big spool with their backs in him. Headman called out the poet, and he stood up and turned around puzzled. Wendella Jackson, I want you to meet poet. Poet, I want you to meet Wendella Jackson. Here he paused for effect, also to keep from collapsing in the laughter. Your new sewage plant attended. With this, he stood back with a grin so Poet could get a real good look, and also so Wendella would not see him cover his mouth and grab his side as he fought hysteria. Poet's face went slack, then his mouth slowly fell open. Wendella stepped toward him with her hand out. It had no ring on it, and a broad smile on her face, which unfortunately accentuated her faint dimples and high cheekbones. A scream rolled through the air. Poet, weakly, stuck out his hand and held hers. He'd always wondered what a man felt like in front of a firing squad after the guns roared, and before the first bullets found their target, he knew now, and he didn't like it. Poet's reaction did not face her. This place and these people were too strange for her to see anything in it. Hell, she even thought she heard a scream. For the moment that she received the letter to come in, she had was determined that she would carry through no matter what. She shook Poet's limp hand and let it go and studied his vacant face for a moment. She knew there was something familiar about him. But it just wouldn't come to her. As she mulled this over, the other man stood from the table with a smile. Another smile, she thought. Everybody seemed to be grinning in this place. The smile, however, was attached to a tall, 
brown-skinned men with wide shoulders and sharp features. His shirt was open and his sleeves were rolled up and she could see the muscles moving beneath his skin. His eyes held hers as he stepped toward her into the light. He was a beautiful man. And a small urge, way down deep in her, wanted to breed immediately, if not sooner. The small little primate urge changed his mind when a faint breeze passed over Moses and carried his scent to her. The faint urge now roared, but this time it wanted to throw up. Moses grasped her hand and introduced himself, oblivious to the fact that now there were two people standing there, slack-faced and in shock. Headman was not oblivious and broke the spell by slapping his side, roaring and staggering from them before the scene gave him a heart attack or a stroke. Poet took off his helmet and looked at Wendella from behind and thought, Oh, God damn, she's a stallion, which is an unfortunate blackmail term for a woman who was lean and very pretty. Wendella had no extra on her, but everywhere she had just enough. She even looked like she had high heels on. Wendella's mind was blank. Her olfactory glance had sent a signal to her brain that swept through like a tidal wave. Poet broke the spell by stammering her name. She turned around, and Poet could still see the surprise on her face. He smiled and told her to take a seat, and he would be back in a minute. Wendella groped for the spool and sat down with a thump, while Poet grabbed the still-gazing and grinning Moses and dragged him off the complex to upper com upper level filters. I can't handle this, brother, said Bullard with a deeply disturbed tremble in his voice. This is way too much. Did you see her? He replied Moses. Did you see that complexion and all that wild hair? replied Moses. I got trouble here. This girl's a goddamn stallion. Every fool for miles around is gonna be running up in here looking for her. Hell, fools that don't even work here will be up in there looking for her. replied Moses. I could kill that Roosevelt for sending her over here. What the hell was he thinking? I need help, and he sent me a goddamn nuclear bomb. Is that all you got to say, Moses? Damn, poet. What can I say? She fine. White chocolate underneath his ass. Mm, 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 mm. Oh, man, not you two. You ain't gonna be smiling and preening, is you? Hey, man, snap out of it. No, poet. You don't have to worry about me. Remember my motto. A bird never shits in his own nest. She could be Nina Horn come for the second time. And get me she pretty damn close. I still wouldn't think about messing with her. Shit. I believe you got enough to worry about without thinking about me. Oh, you got that right. Hey, Moses. Maybe she's a lesbian. Moses thought of her eyes, meaning, I don't think so, Poet. But somehow, I got the feeling she may be all right. Poet gave him the shithouse stare. Cherie was all right, fool. She ain't the problem. It's that whole mongrel horde of horny niggas out there ready to storm the second floor that's got me worried. Hey, man, I'm sorry. She's fine. What can I say? 
poet sighed in resignation as Moses walked away towards the filter room, saying, as if it was a mantra. As he walked slowly back towards the second floor, poet thought of Cagney walking that last mile on death row. He stopped and raised his arms to the gloom. First you give me a junkie, now you give me a beauty. What did I ever do to you? He thought about his 34 years up to that point. Okay, well, okay, he thought. Maybe I got a little bucky can come in. He broke out of his funk and hurried back when he saw Orlando talking to Wendella. Orlando was deep in his explanation of dispositions of special colors when Poet reached him. Orlando turned to Poet and thanked him for bringing a perceptive person onto this plane. Poet nodded and Orlando headed back to the stairwell. You okay? Poet asked. Orlando gets me a handful of times. Wendella looked surprised. Well, he seemed nice enough. At least he didn't laugh when he saw me like everybody else has been doing. What's a disposition? <laughs> it's part of the mystery. Just stay away from green and yellow and you'll be alright. You got one more question. What's the deal with that guy Moses? Whew. You ended up pretty well, support. A lot of people start grasping for air and heaving. Well, I, you know, I used to work with horses and mucked out a lot of nasty stalls, so if I could stand that, I, I could stand him, though I have to admit, he tops anything I ever smell. Does he always smell like that? Well, he works in upper-level filters. They all smell over there. Moses, I have to admit, goes in one better. So, he goes out to lunch for us. She's prompt, always brings back the correct chain, always gets the orders right, and as you probably noticed, is the stickiest man on earth. When Moses goes into a restaurant to get a meal, people pour it like the Red Sea. Five minutes of Moses can close the place down in a hurry, so he calls them and tells them what he wants, and they always have everything perfect for him. But it's kind of going to his head a little bit, because he got pretty specific about the smell that he has to have. He calls it the scent of power. Now, before he leaves, he always goes by the scum houses. Uh, I don't mean to ask so many questions, but uh, what are scum houses? He motioned her down the stairs and out the side door and pointed across to a large grassy field. You see that big green film? Well, underneath it are the primary clarifiers. I won't try to explain it all to you, but there are tanks underneath here where the sewage flows. The heavy stuff in the tank sinks to the bottom and the light stuff like rancid grease and oils get skimmed off the top. This light stuff flows to the little buildings and sits up in these to those little buildings and sits in these vats getting worse till they pump it out. Moses goes over there and dips a little here and dabs a little there till he gets just the right mix of putrefaction. Then, and only then, does he set out to get lunch. Uh, excuse me, but that sounds a little crazy. Well, yeah, to you, it probably does, but you ain't worked here long enough after a while. You won't even think about it. Because I'll be crazy like the rest of you. <laughs> I think we'll have to like you. 
She studied him intently as he led her back to incineration. He was slim, very dark, with large, almost bulging eyes, chiseled features, high forehead, and a small sentence joke way that he always seemed to be about to say something. She knew she had seen him before, but it would not pop into her mind. Where? There was just something about him. About his soft voice and laugh. They walked back to the spool and he placed some large gloves on his hands that looked like something a baker might wear. These are incinerator gloves. They keep the heat from burning your hands. All this stuff is hot. Temperatures down here average a thousand degrees and can get up to fifteen hundred. He said as he reached for a door on the incinerator and swung it open, the heat hit her with a rush. She could see orange and red particles cascading down onto a glowing bed. It came to her then and she said A mist beat an irregularity to jar the doors of sameness and admit the light. Poet's mouth hung slightly open, as if she had just spoken with his dead grandmother's voice. That's a prayer to Mr. Touch. You wrote that. I knew I knew your face from somewhere. You're Robert Johnson, aren't you? Is that why they call you Poet? Poet shook his head for a second. Just, just get the fuck out. Whoa, 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 whoa. you're good. You smell Moses and you don't puke and you turn around and recite one of my poems to me? What you gonna do next? Sing like Aretha Franklin? No, I don't burst in the song, but I am about to burst in the flame, she said, pointing to the door. Oh, yeah, sorry. He said as he closed it. You are Robert Johnson, right? Yeah, you got me. I is and have always been Robert Johnson, but they call me poet because I pay every single one of them to do it. And I got tired of them calling me boy. Hey, hey, maybe someday you could bring some in and read them. Heck, I think I can call you poet even if you don't pay me. Poet sighed. I haven't read any of my poems in years. This has been twice as long since I wrote one. You just recited the only one I could remember, and that's because it was so short. Hell, I don't have a memory worth a damn, so the likelihood of me reciting anything is pretty slim. Couldn't I just pay you? It would probably be cheaper. Besides, this is incineration. We don't read shit down here. We burn it. You think you're ready for the tour? Sure, Wendell says. Robert Johnson had vanished six years ago amongst rumor and innuendo. Just as she had turned 21 and was finally able to hear one of his reports, she remembered him as a small man with an ironic voice filled with direct and somewhat grim music. He would stand in front of the pool table and straight from his head make the quarter come alive, painting its denizens with vivid brush strokes. Now the lost voice of the cast quarter renaissance was standing before her, denying his words. Poet had visibly relaxed and taken on a bemused attitude as he talked. Well, first, how do you, how do you personally feel about adventure? Personally? Wendella replied, pointing herself. I, I tend to be for it, but... Where's the adventure? 
If you notice the Wendella, this incinerator is a pretty big baby, he said, patting the metal side of the incinerator. To do the tour properly, you need to start upstairs and work our way down. By the way, I've got several tour packages. There's the nickel tour, where I sullenly grunt and point. There is the dime tour, where I use real words with brief explanations. And then there's the quarter tour, where I wax grand eloquent upon all topics of incineration, great and small, and in general, have a high old time. Wendella fought a giggle. <laughs> it's going to be fun, she thought, and fished in her pocket. She pulled out a quarter and a dime and stuck it out at him and said, I want to see the incinerators and die. Poet took the coins and held them up to the light, then looked past them to her face. I really am going to have to like you, ain't I? He picked up the walkie-talkie from the spool. Second floor of the control room. Come in. Poet, this is Zena, the goddess. Come back. The box crackled. Goddess, I'm taking our new recruit on tour, so I'm off the floor. Keep an eye on things for me. Come back. Poet, how much did you get this time? Come back. Thirty-five cents. Come back. Thirty-five cents? I wouldn't give you a nickel. Look, 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 Poet. Don't let all that money go to your head. Come back. Too late, goddess. I'm already in full scale oration mode. Come back. Uh, just don't tell it too much, because we don't want to lose it. Come back. Poet looked at Wendella as he spoke. You mean uh, oh, about all the screaming, torture, death, and dismemberment stuff? Come back. No, uh, oh, that's okay. Just don't show anything bad, okay? Zena out. 